0: go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for who you are. You are the heart renovator. You're the one that restores what was broken. Father, we recognize fully that we are plagued by sin. Father, we were conceived in sin and then we willfully chose sin. But Father, you through your son have created a plan of redemption, a plan of restoration. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that it is not only life for us, but it is a motivation to call, a call to come and die, to follow after Jesus and to live for something that is so much more glorious than this pitiful life that we try to lead. Father, we thank you for the way in which you are shaping and changing people by the transforming power of the gospel, that God, that you made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we could be sons and daughters of God, that we could have the Holy Spirit within us leading us as sons and daughters. Father, that is an amazing thing, and it compels us to worship you, not only with our lips, not only with our songs, but with every breath, with every beat of our heart. Father, we thank you for the grace. Give us the ability to hear your word tonight, to discuss it. Lord, we ask that you would continue to change us through the preaching and the teaching of your word so that we would not be the same, so that we would be more like Jesus. We pray these things in his beautiful name, and we say once again, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. We are studying The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Every week I give this long introduction, and now it's your turn. What is going on in the Sermon on the Mount? I'm not afraid of awkward silence. That doesn't mean shut up and don't say anything. That means tell me. Haley, what's up? Sermon on the Mount. Talk real loud so 50 other people can hear you. Yep. Right on. How to be blessed. And when we hear that, what do we think of as far as blessing? Circumstances and stuff, Right. But in Jesus' economy, what's he talking about? Blessing. Happiness? No. The approval of God. The one who is approved by God is, first and foremost, let's go through them, we do it every week. The one who is approved by God is poor in spirit. What's that mean? Remember our Smashing Pumpkins video? Anybody watch that video? Amy Albin and I watched it in my office the other day, and it's kind of freaky, but it's still pretty cool. Did anybody watch it? It's just so messed up. It's all these people in this pit, and they're just covered in dirt. Their hair is shaved, and they're just clawing around in this pit, like Jeremiah talks about, that you've forsaken the one true God, and you have hewned or dug out cisterns of your own. They can hold no water. It's the same deal. They're in there. They're clawing away. And then as the music picks up and picks up, they're just fighting each other in this rage. And the, the tagline is, despite all my rage, I'm still, Dana got it, I'm still just a rat in a cage. And it's this freaky video. But it paints the picture of what it means to be poor in spirit. What's that mean to be poor in spirit? Destitute. What's that mean, Brent? Unworthy, bankrupt, where you recognize where you are in relationship to God. God is holy, like Isaiah 6, we talked about. God is holy. I come into interaction with the holiness of God, and the only appropriate reaction is poor in spirit. I come in, I encounter Jesus on the cross through the gospel, and my only response is. Woe is me. Like, not the Pharisee, but the tax collector. God save me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So poor in spirit, which has the picture of the guy with his hand up, his head down, he's on his knees. He looks to something other than himself for help. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that, progr- that starts a progression that leads to the next thing. And we've been camping out on that for about two weeks. Those who are poor in spirit, what's the natural outflow? Mourning. Not just mourning because somebody died or mourning because I had a bad day, but mourning over sin. First and foremost, my sin, the plague, the cancer that's inside of me, and then what do I do? Not just my sin, but the sins of those around us. First and foremost, my sin. I recognize that I am in sin. And then I recognize in the world around me, in the church around me. Remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians. And then we had this crazy story last week of this guy with a linen writing case going around the city. And what the guy do? You remember? Huh? He didn't kill everybody, but somebody else killed everybody. We're missing a piece. The executioners killed everybody. What did this guy do, though? Yeah, he went around the city, starting with the temple, and he marked on the head the people who mourned over sin. And those that didn't mourn over sin, what happened to them? Yeah, the executioners came and just destroyed, demolished the city. So much so that this guy responds, Ezekiel responds, I'm the only one left. And we asked the question at the end of last week, what would happen if the guy with the writing case and the, and the pen came in our community, in our faith family right here, and in our faith family of First Julius? Would we be those who mourned over our sin and also the sin in our body and the sin out there? Or would we be those that just merely laughed at sin and just took it? Well, the past couple of weeks have been really depressing because poor in spirit and then mourning. This week, we, we pushed through that a little bit, uh, but I want to want you to see that there's a progression here, that this is not how someone enters the kingdom of God, but this is what is true heart attitude-wise if we are citizens of heaven. Remember the context of Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 20, your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is here's false righteousness, here's outward, externalism, checklist, where you go through the motions, you walk down the aisle, you throw the little piece of wood in the fire at camp to represent your sin. You go through the motions, but there's no heart change versus true righteousness, where you must depend on someone else to be your righteousness because you're destitute, lost, and damned. See the big difference between the two? We're going to continue talking about them. Look at Matthew chapter 5 with me real quick. We already hit up verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We didn't get into this last week, But Revelation 21, awesome. When Jesus comes back, sets up his earthly kingdom, new heaven, new earth, all eyes will be dried from their tears. There will be no death. There will be no more destruction because the presence of God is there and it brings comfort. No more mourning but comfort. And so we look to that day when we will be comforted in that way. Look at verse 5. Blessed are, what's your version say? The gentle, anybody have anything else? The meek, some uh, translations say the humble, because or for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they'll receive mercy Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all these things about you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, for your heaven. For your reward in heaven is very great. Then it keeps going and going and going. All right, what comes to your mind when you think of the word meek? Gentle, oh, that was good. Was that Andy? Yeah, it was Andy. (laughs) Gentle, meek. Okay, somebody elaborate on that a little bit. Oh, wow, that guy—he's—he's just—he's just really gentle. Pushover? Define that. Explain. Yeah, like not gonna stand up for his rights. Uh, pushover, doormat, um, limp wrist, pansy—all uh, those other. Yes, I said limp wrist. Um, something happens to them, and they just let people walk all over them. Okay. What do you think of when you think of Jesus as being meek? Humble, tender-hearted. These don't sound like brave heart, like patriot-type words, right? Where it, it puts fear into people. Oh, Jesus is gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Describe for me some of the pictures that you've seen of Jesus. What, Denae? A, a lamb in his lap. Yeah, that's very like 300... We are Sparta, right? Or one, the one where Jesus has the lamb around his neck and he's like <laughs> cuddling the lamb. That's awkward. He's also white and has blue blue eyes. I don't understand that. What are some other pictures you've seen of Jesus? Oh, yeah, the felt board Jesus where Jesus is sitting there and all, he's got the blue sash, always with the blue sash, And all the little kids are coming to him, right? Like Jesus is handing out cookies. What else? Amanda, what's the one you always make fun of with like the Nanu Nanu sign? Yeah. Yeah. He's got the halo and he's got the burning heart, the sacred heart picture of Jesus. Or the one where he has this huge crown on his head and he's just got this like weird wimp look on his face. Right? Interesting. Interesting. New question. How do you gain power? How does one today gain power? What, Ryan? Okay, what do you mean? Yeah, do whatever it takes. Somebody else, help me out. Yeah. What do you mean, Katie? Yeah. If you have money, he who has the money, or I think the the way it goes, he who controls the purse strings, the money, controls everything. Right? What's happening in our country right now? What's there a struggle over? Power. Yeah, power, right? Yeah? Okay. Wow. What happens with power with most people when they get power what happens to them once they get it what do you mean Joel okay they want more of it it's not enough anything else become arrogant controls them They don't want to surrender it? Hmm. Do me a favor. Get in a group of five or six people. Five or six people. Go ahead, do it real quick. That's why we're in a group. Thanks Ron, I got it. 5 or 6 people. Here's the question. Here's the question. You already got money as an example. What are other things within our society that say if you have this, you have power? Okay? Go. Individual that immediately comes to your mind. Who comes to your mind? Talk about that in your group. When you think of power, who's the individual? This is power personified. All right, give me people. Who you got for people? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, powerful. Explain who that is. Cameron, explain who Steve Jobs is. He's the CEO of Apple and otherwise your boss, right? Yeah, okay. Who else? Jerry Jones. All right. He thinks he's powerful, but who else? Especially with the record of... Never mind. Who else? Eh, Donald Trump. Obama. What else? Who? Cliff Lee. Okay, what are other things? If you have this, you have power. Celebrity? What do you mean? Like fame? Okay. What else? Paris Hilton. But her dad's like loaded though. Okay. True. What else? She had that pretty crazy show, BFF. Right? I mean... Anyway, I'm so ashamed that I even know that. What else? (laughs) Aaron, what's your group say? Yeah, like, things, if you have this, you have power. Phone a friend, I don't know, I'm not in your group. Yeah, yeah. Guys, a book that is great uh, for you to read on this topic is called Seasons of Life, and um, it's written by a guy who followed around a football coach, and he basically draws the picture that the way that guys try to have power over people is through stuff, athletic power rests, when you're in um, high school and college, and then, what one have we not said? No. That one too, but no. Women. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Some of you are like, I don't have any power. Okay. (laughs) What in the world does this have to do with meekness? It is the opposite of it. Why do you say that, Aaron? Jesus is pretty famous. (laughs) Okay. See where you're going. Let me read this definition for you. Um, This really smart guy named Vines. He says that meekness or gentleness is an inwrought grace of the soul. It's on the inside. And the exercise of meekness is first and foremost chiefly towards God in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting, meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer is the fruit of true power. The Lord, Jesus, was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command. He was neither elated nor cast down with the things that happened to him simply because it is not occupied with self at all. Really long definition. Basically, meekness is first and foremost with God where we recognize that God is acting. Uh, Those of you that were on the retreat this past weekend, we said in every situation, no matter what I'm going through, Jesus is redemptively acting active. He is using or orchestrating things in my life for what reason? What is God's agenda? To make us more holy, to make us more conformed to the image of Jesus. So all of the things that are going on in life, your life, my life right now, is so that I and you as a body of believers become more like Jesus. That includes everything, blessing, temptations, trials, all the, remember our example from the weekend, all the heat in our lives. How many of you that were on the retreat are experiencing heat when you got back and now you're more aware of it of like, crap, Jesus is trying to make me more holy. Yeah, I've had some conversations with a lot of you. How many of you, as you're going through the heat, the thorns of your heart are starting to come up and you're like, ugh. This is disgusting. Yeah, thank you for that hand, Josiah. I appreciate that. <laughs> meekness has been said, John MacArthur says that meekness is really strength under control. Un- think of Jesus, unlimited power. He spoke in oceans, worlds, all that was created. He had unlimited power, but it was under the control, under the submission ...to the Spirit of God. Okay? Another guy says it like this. um, The humble... meekness is the humble and gentle attitude... ...which expresses itself in patient submissiveness to offenses. It's free from malice and desire and from revenge. John MacArthur also says that it was used extra-biblically... That means in literature of the day outside of the Bible, to refer to the breaking of an animal. Meekness means power but under control. Okay? So, with that definition, let's, let's look at some things in the Word of God that, uh, that talk about meekness. Two men were described as meek in the Word of God. I want you to take your Bible, turn back to the Old Testament, and go to Numbers. It's been a while probably since you've been in Numbers. Go to Numbers. Chapter 12. We have some Bibles in the back if you need one. As you're turning there, strength under control. Blessed are those who have unlimited power under control... ...for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness means that you are pliable... You bend with what's going on in your life at the time. If something happens, like those of you that are experiencing the heat in your life right now, when that happens, you have the choice. You can either choose to respond by questioning God, asking him, getting mad at him, or retaliating to that guy who did that to you or your boss who did that to you, or you can accept it as God is using this to make me more holy. Two responses, okay? It's not resisting or fighting against your circumstances. Remember this weekend we talked about the gospel gap, how sometimes we think that if God would move us from these circumstances, then life would be better. And we totally debunked that and said that's totally false. That God has me in this crucible right now, ...to develop me more into the image of Jesus. Meekness responds to God like this. God, you rule and reign. You are in the heavens. You are on the throne. Like Psalm 103 says, your sovereignty reigns. Because I know that your sovereignty reigns... ...I will let you not only govern the heavens and the earth... ...but govern every aspect of my life. I won't merely look to the situation or to circumstances, or to people, I look to you, sovereign God, king of kings. You rule, you reign. You are God, I'm not. So think of the progression here. Poor in spirit, mourn meek. We had nothing when we came to the table of salvation. Then we get to meek and we still recognize, God, if anything is going to happen in my life you're the one that is going to have to do this. How does meekness happen in your life? We, told, we said that this was the king and his kingdom. How These things are not things that we attain to, like the checklist, but these things are the reality if we are children of God, if we're disciples, and the kingdom of God has invaded into our lives. This is the stuff that we take and we infect others. When people come into the contact with the gospel in us, they should see these characteristics wrought out in our lives. We should be growing these, okay? Meekness, strength under control. I want to show you a situation with my boy Moses. Are you in Numbers chapter twelve? Yeah. Look at verse one. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Just for some context here, who's Moses, just in case we have no clue? The, The guy who led him out of Egypt, right? Anybody else give us some clarity on Moses? You got the little basket thing that happened. You got the out of Egypt. You got the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, Moses' staff. Uh, All that kind of stuff, okay? He's been leading the children of Israel for a while now. They're not the easiest people to lead. And look at what happens in verse 1. Miriam and Moses spoke, I I can't talk. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. What's the problem here? What are they doing? What, Danae? Grumbling. Okay, what's that mean? Complaining about the situation and the leader of the situation. And what happens? It doesn't go very well for him. In fact, the end of verse 2, the Lord heard it. It's kind of frightening. Now, the man Moses was very humble. That word humble right there is the Hebrew word for meek and gentle, okay? He was very meek, more than any other man that was on the face of the earth. We always say it's kind of awkward because Moses wrote this, and he's saying that he's the most meek person or humble person on the earth. Think about it for a second. Verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, kind of intimidating, and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called to Aaron and to Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant against Moses? Okay, you've been in this situation before where people talk about you. People say something may not be true, may be a little bit true, might be a little twisted or distorted about you. What is our natural tendency when someone says something about us and we find out about it. Okay, so Moses and or Aaron and Miriam over here. We're not sure where Moses is, but they talk. God hears it. God confronts them. What, how does that usually happen with us when we hear that people talk about us? We retaliate. Okay, everybody's kind of nervous of like, uh, I don't know. What do you do? What's retaliation look like? We get angry, we get frustrated. Somebody said something over here. Okay, they're shining the spotlight on you, so you want to shine the spotlight back on them, and it gets bigger and bigger. What else happens? You make excuses. What do you mean? I'm I'm responding to what you did to me, so therefore I'm not responsible for how. Yeah, okay, so you play all these things in your mind. What were you saying? Okay. What else? How do we react or respond? Yeah. So it becomes this bigger and bigger and bigger thing where you, all these situations, you feel like you have to justify yourself. You feel like you're the one that has to take vengeance for what these people have said to you, right? What does Moses do here in what we just read? I'm not going further. What have we seen him do so far? Nothing. He's standing there. God calls him out to uh, attend a meeting, and he's just there, right? Did he, like, go up and... Slap his sister? You fool, I told you not to talk. No? Does your Bible say that? Okay, good. What else? Does he like UFC fight with Aaron? I'll show you. Keep reading. Tell me what Moses does. He intercedes. What's that mean? God's wrath came against Aaron and Miriam in the form of what happened to Miriam. Yes, yeah, she gets leprosy. Now, think of your job situation, okay? Or think of your church. You say something negative about the leader, either your boss or Pastor John or me or other people involved, and God gives you leprosy. God, well, first of all, God comes down in a pillar of cloud, which would freak us out. And then you have leprosy. Okay, you're Moses. Let's say Moses is not the most humble man in the earth. And, is, and Miriam gets leprosy. How would you respond if you were honest? Danae, how would you respond? You're a pretty honest person. Maybe laugh. What do you mean laugh? Like, yeah. Randy, how would you respond? Dude, you got leprosy. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Look at what Moses does. Somebody said he intercedes for him. What's he do for Miriam? He asks, instead of being like, you got what was coming to you, he asks God to heal her. Okay, how did Moses get to be the most humble person or meek person in the world? We're in Numbers. There's some other books about Moses. Let's let's think about some of the things that have happened in Moses' life. Go back to... uh, um, if you need some cross-references here or some cliff notes, go back to Exodus chapter 2 real quick. Exodus chapter 2. Remember how uh, what was going on when Moses was born? That's in chapter 1. What was going on? Yeah, Uh, this new generation uh, rose up. They were outnumbering all the Egyptians and they were getting strong. And so Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh came about that did not know what God had done through Joseph. And he wants to take out the Hebrews. So he makes it really hard for them. And then he wants to get rid of them. So he tries to kill every male that's under two years old. Again, the sovereignty of God in this situation uh, protects Moses. Go to chapter 3. Um, actually, wait. Wait for it. Go back to 2. Um, verse 5, Pharaoh's daughter comes, comes down. This is after the basket thing. Comes down, rescues him. Acts chapter 7 says that Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh, that he became a man, uh, an educated man in all the ways of the Egyptians, a man of power in word and deed. He became somebody while he was in Pharaoh's house. He was supposed to be killed, became somebody. But then something crazy happens. Anybody remember what, what happens to Moses to get him from Egypt to somewhere else? What? Yeah, the burning bush, but way before that. He kills an Egyptian. He sees two Egyptians taken out an Israelite. And so he goes down and takes matters in his own hands. Kills the Egyptian, tries to hide it, but somebody finds out about it. He finds out later, what, are you our judge? Are you going to do that to us? And so he takes off running. And he runs away from the situation for 40 years. He runs from the palace of Egypt to The pasture where he's dealing with dumb sheep. Okay? Then God appears to him in a burning bush. Has this conversation with him. Do you remember what Moses says in the burning bush? Or to the burning bush? Burning bush says, hey, go deliver my people. And Moses' response is, I can't do it. Yeah. So God leads him through a wilderness experience for 40, 40 years... And then his response is, I can't do it. Later on, he continues to develop Moses, continues to develop Moses. And then we get to Numbers chapter 12, where all of these crazy things have happened to the Israelites. You've got the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 16, three days later, they are complaining and grumbling to Moses about God because they don't have any water. Three days after the Red Sea. They complain and groan because they don't have food. God gives them food with the manna. They complain and grumble because they don't like the manna. So God gives them quail and tells them, you're going to get stuffed, you're going to get sick of quail. I'm going to give you what you want. All these crazy things happen. All of this heat happens in Moses' life to bring him to this place where he's called the Most Humble. Here's the clue for you. And we're going to talk about this more next week as we look at Jesus being described as humble. But here's the clue for you. Do you know God? Do you know what God says about himself in his word? See, Old Testament, we view the Old Testament as like the wrath and damnation of God, like vengeful God. And then the New Testament of like, gentle Jesus with handing out cookies and stuff. But God, the picture of God is both Old Testament and New Testament. God of wrath, God of love. Holy God, but also God who redeems. Okay? How do you develop meekness in your life? Situations come, and I'm sure you probably had one today, where you are tempted to ...react, you're tempted to just be just pissed at the situation... ...versus God, you're in control. You're sovereign. It happens at work. Some of you even, um, I prayed for some of you today... ...that texted me and said, hey, pray for me, I'm having this situation. Some of you have lost your jobs recently. How do you react Well, if it's just you fighting for yourself, then you just fight and you get tired and you fight and you fight and you fight for yourself. But if you sit back and you say, God, I have no clue what you're doing, but you're sovereign. You're in control. You reign. Your ways are perfect. Your timing is perfect. I don't see the whole picture, but you're God. If we viewed Or if we responded to situations like that. Or ladies in the room. I'm still single. Is God sovereign? See how it changes how we react? Or guy who just lost your job. God's sovereign. How would it change how we live our life. If we got that God was sovereign over all. Not just like not just the plan of redemption, not just, oh, me being transformed by the gospel, but every detail of my life, God is orchestrating things. What would be different? Y'all, y'all talk to me and then we're done. How would, how would me getting God's sovereignty make me less stressed out, Nairi? We're going to look at this next week, but y'all know the passage where Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary; take my burden upon you. My burden's light. I'm learn meekness from me, and I'll give you rest." Well, when we're try, we're the one fighting for our agenda and what we want, we we become weary because we want what God wants, but we also want to do it ourselves. What if God doesn't have like the right plan? What if God doesn't have the right agenda for my life? What else if we got that God was sovereign and lived our life that way? What do you mean by fighting? Explain that a little bit. And we use God as like a plan A B C D E F F, where, okay, I'm going to try this, 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 and then, okay, God, yeah, you're sovereign, all right. I screwed it up this far. Go for it. Yeah. Two, two quick stories about people that are depending upon the sovereignty of God right now in our midst. Number one is, how many of y'all know Charlotte? Charlotte Burcham. Yeah, what, what's going on with Charlotte Burcham, Andy? Tell us real quick. Yeah. Her family moved here three months ago. I've known them for about 15 years. And uh, they move here. Dad goes to seminary, is promised a job here. They come here um, fully expecting things to go on. And they just hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. I mean, major time of trial in their lives. And yet, their whole the whole time, the thing that Charlotte kept saying is, I know that God is sovereign, I know that God is good, and I know that God is faithful. And so the Lord, through that three-month testing time, provided for all their needs, provided an amazing job for her dad, which is the reason why they were here, and used Charlotte's time here... Hey, Charlotte, if you can hear this, used her time here to train her to be a gospel carrier in a place in Tennessee where there's just this outward function of the gospel and no true transformation. So we had an amazing time with her this weekend on Sunday, the community group leaders, where she's telling us all this stuff, and God is just like, I'm sovereign. Number two situation, Dusty, I didn't even ask if I could tell. Can I tell the story you just told me? Okay, so Dusty is a church planner. Y'all know what that means? You're like, there's a million churches around here. We're talking about igniting a heart for the gospel and infiltrating, sending people out to live the gospel. Kind of like what we're trying to do here. Well, we're not concerned if we have 500 people here We want 50 people who get the gospel and go, like send. So, my conversation with Charlotte was look, ministry success is you being sent as a carrier of the gospel. Win win situation. We're gonna partner with you, we're gonna pray with you. Dusty is a church planner. Do you know what that means to be a church planner? That means you basically have like 16 jobs, you have a family that you have to provide for. You have to raise money for this church that hasn't even started yet and get people to buy in and trust you and say, here's money, we're going we're, we're gonna to do what God's called you to do and, and fund it. And so Dusty, who's married, you met his wife Whitney on the retreat. She's not here tonight. Um, Dusty, you tell the story. Why am I telling it? Because you're here. Charlotte's not here. Uh, what did you do yesterday? As I kind of scan the room, don't be scared because I'm not going to do that to anybody else. But there are so many situations right now where the Lord is trying to get us as individuals to say, okay, God, you're sovereign. You rule and reign. I don't understand. You don't have to. All you have to do, your job, your responsibility, your joy in the midst of it is to know more about God's character and to respond in faith, just like Charlotte. Okay, I've been reading in the Word. I know that he's good. I know that God is good. I know that God is faithful. I know that he is in control. Now, appropriate response for that looks a little bit different. Some of you are fighting against the sovereignty of God like nobody's business. God has told you what is required of you. God has been revealing sin in your heart for weeks, and you're starting to become hardened to the sin that's in your life. Your job is, okay, God, you're in control. I've tried to cover it. I've tried to do it on my own. I repent. I need you to transform my life. Others of you, you're in the midst of the situation right now of, God, you're, you're in control, right? Right? You're in control. You, your response is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe you're sovereign, and I know that you're using this situation in my life to make me more like Jesus, but I need you to sustain me with your grace. Jesus and I had this conversation this morning. I need you to sustain me, God. I am trying to do it. I am called to do it, and I am trying to be faithful but I need the grace of God to sustain me. Last picture, um, and we're going to talk about this next week. Paul, I want you to think about Paul. Remember the situation with Paul where he had the thorn in in his side, and he prays to God three times, Lord, if it's your will, remove it. Does anybody remember how God responds to Paul? Yeah. Joel, and that's awesome because you're walking through a situation... Several situations right now. You had one a year ago. You're in one now where Joel has to believe that. My grace is sufficient. And Paul continues saying, or God through Paul continues saying, strength is perfected in weakness. So some of you right now, You need to cling to the grace of God in your life that it is sufficient for whatever you're facing. 2 Peter, God has given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. You, Ephesians 1, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So I don't know what the Lord is kind of stirring in your heart. I know the response that I've had to give like over the past week of like, Ugh, fighting against the sovereignty of like, God, why don't you do this? Or kind of retaliating against God in my life wh- with where I'm at right now. I don't know what you, how you need to respond, but Dusty's just going to come sing one or two songs. And I want us to be thinking about this this week of, God, what would it look like in my life if I responded to the fact that you're sovereign? And be prepared because he's, he's going to give you some opportunities to either respond in faith or to act out, to retaliate. Okay? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you and I recognize that you are king. That there is no stone unturned in our lives that you don't know about. Father, that you are orchestrating so many things in our lives. And Lord if you allowed us to see the final product, the result, Lord that we would have we would just be in awe of what you were doing. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what you're doing. Father, you promise that we our dreams can't even encompass what you are doing in our lives right now. So Father, we ask that you would give us the grace that we need. One, we thank you for this body of believers. We thank you for people that are awakened to the reality of the gospel, the true gospel. And we thank you, number two, for individuals that are helping us apply the gospel to all aspects of our life. And Father, this is a part of applying the gospel, that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over sickness. He is sovereign over life circumstances. He is sovereign over all those things. And we don't understand it fully, but God, you're, you're not a man that we should put you in the box of what it means to be a man. Your ways are far above our ways. Your thoughts are far above our thoughts. So Father, we submit. We submit to your will. We submit to your ways. And we, again, say, Lord, make us more like you. We know that prayer brings with it not comfort and not just these touchy-feely run-through-the-roses type mentality, but Father, it's hard. Father, we thank you for the refiner's fire that you are making us more into the image of Jesus. That you are good and that you are faithful.